Okay, let's start at the 300,000 and reverse engineer that. And they realize how many customers they have to go get at $500,000 a month and how many hours they're going to have to work and how much staff they're going to have to hire. And it's like, okay, if you're willing to do that, but do you want to live that life? And so again, you know, Shai said it, that end goal in mind is so important. People try to plan to their vision. You got to plan from your vision. Otherwise, you're throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. And that's where you get into trouble. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, taking care of business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, episode 151. Today we have Kirk Mercadente joining us for a deep dive into work-life issues that affect every business leader. Kurt is an international speaker, trainer, disruptive entrepreneur, and author of the new book, The Five Pillars of the Freedom Lifestyle, a guide for discovering your superpowers and designing a life of true freedom and fulfillment. Recently named one of the 30 LinkedIn influencers who built a powerhouse personal brand, Kurt is a powerful, dynamic public speaker whose motivational videos drew more than 2.5 million organic video views last year alone. Good morning, Kurt. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Craig and Shai, thank you so much for having me here. It's an honor and a privilege to be on the show today. And it's a treat for us because your book is so fascinating. It's one you got to have on your reference table. And looking at it from another way is kind of what were the paths that led you to actually writing this book? Yeah. So it's interesting. I look back, I had a PR and ad agency for 13 years, made a bunch of money doing it. And, you know, long story short, I shut it down at peak revenue. And a lot of people say, well, why didn't you sell it? Well, that's part of the problem. I didn't build it so I could sell it. If I had waited another, six months, I could have positioned it to sell. But it got to be the point where I didn't build that runway. And I woke up one morning and I said, I'm done. Now to kind of back up from that, you know, at one point I looked back and of 10 places that I worked in terms of workplaces, when I worked as an employee, I'd say of the 10, nine could be considered semi-toxic to fully toxic. When I built my company and my PR and ad agency, you know, in many cases, we were kind of embedded within companies. And I got to notice and feel the impact. When there's a toxic workplace, you don't just have to work there, like get a paycheck. It infects everyone with that virus who deals with you. You could be in a meeting a thousand miles away from their offices and it still comes through. And so it started to infect my business. And the way I built my business infected me as well. About four or five years into it, I was miserable. We were making good money. And at the time I worked from home, you know, I always had a team around the globe, basically, that worked with me in the US. And I'd get up early in the morning, I'd go up into my home office, I'd disappear all day, I'd come down for dinner, see my wife, and at the time we had two kids, I'd say hi, (laughs) I'd eat, I wouldn't talk to them, I'd go back up into the office, disappear to like four in the morning, come down, go to bed, get up at 6.30, do it all over again. So I hated it. And I wanted to give it up, but there was no way I would have rather given my left arm than go back to an office job. I liked owning my own company. So I did something interesting. And a lot of people say, well, what did you do? What did you, you know? I fired half my clients. I started hiring more people. And I cut the amount of time I worked in the day in about half. 
And people are like, oh man, did you lose money? Was it tough? I said, no, I doubled my revenue the next year actually, because then it allowed me to work with people who allowed me to do what I do best, people who valued me, because I had a little bit of a scarcity mindset where it's like, hey, I charge $10,000 retainer. We'll pay you two, done. Someone's offering me money. I got to take the money. And that's how I built my business. And a lot of people do that. And so I had freedom in that case. I pushed it over a million dollars, was doing great money-wise. But when my dad died in 2012, my dad was my hero, space program, led the team that designed all the electronic switches on the Boeing 777, patents, designed fighter jets, all these cool things. I tell people he was like a real-life Tony Stark. At his wake, or sitting there, grown men, 80-year-old men, tears in their eyes talking about my dad. All those wonderful things he did in his career were never mentioned at all. It was all about husband, father, volunteer, president of our parish council, president of the University of Notre Dame Club. You know, all those things, and it dawned on me. It was like a slap in the face. My hero had set the example, and here I was. What the hell was I doing at the time? Now I had three kids. We have four now, and I didn't see them. I wasn't being an excellent dad. I wasn't being an excellent husband. I was 40 pounds heavier than I am now. I was having anxiety attacks, and I felt guilty because I was doing what a man's supposed to do bring in money. You know, we have the great house, the great looking family, all that wonderful. And that was all surface level stuff, but I was miserable. And even though I had built some of that time freedom, I wasn't doing what I felt like I was put on this earth to do. And I decided I'm going to make a change. So what did I do? I didn't do anything. (laughs) And I kept going for years until that one day that I talked about at the beginning, I woke up, it was a Thanksgiving week, I was supposed to be on vacation, everyone knew it, on my team knew it, every one of my clients knew it, and that didn't stop them from, yeah, I know you're on vacation, Kurt, send us that report, get us that email, hop on this conference call, and I woke up, and I went to my wife, and I said, I'm done. And she said, oh, like, we're going to shut this down, because I, I had been side hustle coaching people. And she said, so you're going to ramp it down over the next year? I said, no, I'm done, like, today. Like, it's done. This is it. I'm done. And I couldn't do it one more day. And I shut it down. And a lot of people say, well, did you have a lot of money saved up from that? No, because I was an idiot. You know, our lifestyle rose to meet our income. So we didn't have a lot of money saved up. We had some and I blew through it trying to build this new business. But long story short, now I speak, train, and I coach around the world trying to help people to build that runway, to build businesses with a sense of fulfillment, with a sense of freedom, where they truly scale it instead of just growing it. And they really have that sense of freedom and fulfillment that they have that feeling every day that they're doing what they were put on this earth to do. And that's why I wrote the book. It's a monumental undertaking too. And the results really benefit so many. But it's fascinating listening to what you're saying. You know, you were going after the American dream. This is what we did. This is this age group and so forth. And we just plowed ahead, carry on and do what our parents expected us to and society expected us to. And then realizing that I'm not getting anything out of this. Right. It may be making mom happy, but it's really not doing anything for me. So that giant leap from where you're at to attaining freedom, what are some of the steps, that gap? How do you even begin that process? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. And it's not easy. A lot of people, me included, go through life from objective to objective like a pinball, bouncing and bouncing and bouncing. And when we're younger, we think, well, this is my purpose, quote unquote. You know, you're in your 20s and my purpose is making partner and making 100 grand in your 30s, whatever it is, right? Well, those are temporary objectives. 
And at some point you realize, you know, I didn't realize how many people were going through this, how many people who on the outside were very successful with money, who then I start telling my story and I start doing these things and I start getting floods of emails, people coming to my events. I'm in the same position. You know, I'm gonna lose my wife. I'm gonna lose my kids. And so what they realize is it's from objective to objective, but you hit that wall when you realize what's that guiding star that when you reverse engineer it is the glue that holds all these objectives together. And that's your vision. And, you know, I have five pillars. The name of the book is Five Pillars of the Freedom Lifestyle. Vision isn't first. First is superpowers. But that vision is so important. I have people, you're a coach, and I'm sure you've seen the same thing. I actually was talking to my book publisher last week, and they said the same thing. The amount of people who will pay me thousands of dollars, they come to the first session. They never show up again, never ask for their money back. Why? Because I ask them two questions. First question is, who are you? And they can't answer it without giving me a job title, right? The second question is, how do you want your life to look? If you could wave a magic wand tomorrow and be transported into the life you actually desire, not the one that you think you have to live because of external expectations. Those two questions, it's like ripping a bandage off when they try to think of it, that it's easier for them just to go into what I call the comfort zone of misery. And we're going to ride this out till we're 65. Those two questions I've asked and have never seen anyone again. It's so interesting. And it really stresses the fact that there are so many people living those lives, like you said, that we were told to live, where we're living someone else's expectations. We're living a a teacher's expectations or society's expectations. Do what you're told. Shut up. Ask for permission. Go to college. That's the key to happiness and fulfillment. Well, I went to that and then I get to 45 and someone says, I've been working in finance for 25 years. I hate finance. Well, why did you do it? Well, my dad told me to go in finance when I was 10, (laughs) you know? And so that's what's been most, I guess, shocking, disappointing. And yet at the other end, when people make a decision to get help, fulfilling. But there are that many people that are going through this process and that there are some people who finally decide, I'm going to start living like my life depended on it. You know what I think, Kurt, listening to you talk about it, it's just that we have so many systems in our society that really set us up to work very tactically. And, you know, like you said, I think early on, our our brains are still developing and we're looking for leadership or mentorship wherever we happen to find it. And so we start down this path. We have a bias towards safety. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so, hey, I guess, you know, when you're young, it's a lot to try to think about what you want to do with your whole life. But most kids, we encourage to go directly into school without really spending any time to think or catch their breath. And then they they have these high expectations. We're always teaching them to do more, right? Because you want to get into school. So you got to do extracurricular activities. We're training them to overwork. We're training them to think sort of tactically. And so we're really not teaching generations of people to start with the end in mind and really think more about what are the things that make you whole as a person and make you super happy and how do you create a life so you can spend more time doing those things? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And there's an epigeneticist, which is kind of, you know, the belief and the power of belief and it starts getting into, you know, what Napoleon Hill wrote about in the 1930s and think and grow rich, which is the law of attraction and energy and being on the same frequency and vibration. And as someone who is a public speaker, I can tell you it is absolutely real. You know, I can tell when the audience is on the same frequency as I do, because they get up and they go buy stuff for me, right? And what Dr. Lipton talks about is the first seven years of our life, we're in theta state. And theta state, you know, there's alpha, beta, theta. As adults, we're in theta as we're waking up in the morning and as we go to bed at night. For the first seven years of our life, we're in theta. 
And what that means is when you're in theta state, that's when your subconscious, your computer programs are being programmed. And Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad talks about this, where he had his poor dad and his rich dad. His poor dad was his biological father who worked for the government, who said it's about a paycheck. You work for a paycheck. You go to school, you get a job, someone gives you money. His rich dad was his best friend's father who was an entrepreneur because his dad was an entrepreneur. And so it really stresses if you grow up and you're programmed from parents or people around you or mentors, like you said, who have a scarcity mindset, nothing against them. I'm not saying it's bad, but they grew up with a worldview and they program that with you. It's going to be set for the rest of your life if you don't reprogram it later in life. You know, my dad was an entrepreneur. I mean, he did a lot of things and reinvented himself at age 55 when I was nine as an entrepreneur. I saw that. I learned that. I have a different mindset than some of my siblings, some of whom are 20 years older than me, half brothers, half sister, who didn't see that. And that's good news. A lot of people will think, well, what was me? That's traumatic. I was raised that way. Well, if you think that way, yeah, it's bad news. But the good news is you can reprogram yourself, but it takes being able to answer that question, where do you want to go? What does that end goal look like? And visualizing it every single day, visualizing that picture in your mind and repeating it out loud every single day. So that future becomes a reality in your mind. And what Jack Canfield says, don't let the how get in the way of your what. Really focusing and clearly defining that what so it burns inside of you and you can't help but being pulled along to it. And so much of the time, like we've been saying, you have this vision, you're afraid of it because it implies that there's a lot of change that has to take place, a lot of risks that has to take place to really go on implementation. And getting the team on board, i.e. wife, children, hmm. key employees, friends, in support of this leap you mentioned of cutting back on the volume of your business and going for specific clients, firing some, taking on new ones, reshaping your business. Tell me more about that and what your thoughts of why and how. Yeah, I, I'm doing a branding accelerator. And one of the things I talk about there is you know, your product offering should be one that provides maximum value to the most number of ideal customers. Ideal being very narrowly, very specifically designed, not everyone. I'm not going to put out the big fishing net to catch 100,000 people, right? Unless you have like a micro $5.99 a month <laughs> product, an online service. But if you're consulting, right, you can help the maximum number of those ideal customers while still empowering the lifestyle you want to live. And a lot of business owners, they go into it saying, all right, what's a customer most likely to pay? And they come up with a number, 500 bucks a month. And I say, okay, fine. How much do you need to make this year? I need to make $300,000. Okay, well, let's start at the 300. Let's not start at the $500 a month. Let's start at the 300,000 and reverse engineer that. And they realize how many customers they have to go get at $500,000 a month and how many hours they're going to have to work and how much staff they're going to have to hire. And it's like, okay, if you're willing to do that, but do you want to live that life? And so again, you know, Shai said it, that end goal in mind is so important. People try to plan to their vision. You got to plan from your vision. Otherwise, you're throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks, and that's where you get into trouble. And I know in your book, you actually put a level of index to this, you call it the Freedom Index, and sort of a benchmark to see where you are in that. Can you chat a little more about that? Yeah, there are a series of 10 statements. You rate them on a scale of 1 to 10 on whether or not you agree with them. Things like, is your health and fitness excellent? Because if your health and fitness aren't excellent, your work's not going to be excellent. 
you're going to be miserable. You're going to miss work. You're going to get sick. Then your self-care isn't good. And then your relationships aren't good. When your stress is raising, you get more sick. You dread going into work. Whether or not you have your own business, you're working a nine to five or whatever. Are your relationships excellent? Harvard has a study. It's 80 plus years. It's the deepest, from what I understand, study of human fulfillment. And they started studying Harvard undergrads 80 something years ago. I think it's like 84 years at this point. And at the time they asked the undergrads, what's going to be the key to fulfillment in your life? And of course, these young bucks, oh, it's going to be status. It's going to be money. It's going to be awards. And 80 something years later, not even close. It was relationships. And often we clearly define what we want our work to look like, what that looks like. And we have a clear vision of it. And then we shoehorn in our relationships and our self-care. Well, that affects work, right? Because people have learned that the hard way. When the relationships go to pot, (laughs) their work suffers. You're no good to your business if you're dead. And so are your relationships at 100%. Are you fulfilled by your job? Not do you love your job. Not do you wake up on Monday and you can rationalize going up to your home office or if you work for a nine to five, whatever that is, if you're a business owner. These are questions I couldn't answer in the affirmative. I would have given threes out of tens. There's all these questions that you ask, and at the end of it, you give it a rating out of 10. Are you at a five or a six? The amount of people I have who, I'm 10, I'm 10 in these three, but I'm five down here. There are some people who might be at an eight out of 10, but their relationships are at a two. And so their index may be an eight, right? They're like, you know, my relationships are number one. We got to fix this. So we look into it. It's, It's kind of like a cardiologist who looks at the body and finds out where the blockages are. Let's find where those blockages are relationship-wise, health-wise, job fulfillment-wise, business fulfillment-wise. Another question is, have you taken a trip in the last year to somewhere you really want to go? Not somewhere where you're like, hey, I got to go to this work conference and we're going to tag on two days at a winery, (laughs) right? No, someplace you like your bucket list of where you really want to go. Not someplace, well, we got to go up to Washington, up to Seattle for a wedding. So we're going to have an extra day touring around the city. No, 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 no. It's like, I've always wanted to go to Kuala Lumpur. Let's go to Kuala Lumpur. That's another question in there. So it's the whole picture. You know, a lot of people come to me and they say two questions. One is, first of all, oh, it's a book on freedom. So that means it's all about quitting your job or becoming an entrepreneur. Not necessarily. And I think it's pretty sad that we think the only way you can get freedom is quitting your job or becoming an entrepreneur, right? The second question is, is it about work-life balance? I say no, because when I think about work-life balance, I think about, I have this stock photo that I use on slides and it's a woman on a tightrope that's stretched between the Grand Canyon. She's trying not to fall off and die. (laughs) And that's the way a lot of people work at balance. So you got to look at your relationships. Yeah, your work. And yeah, yourself. And money is extremely important, but it's how you look at money and how you look at abundance and how you look at profit. Is it just to have stuff? I had stuff and I was unfulfilled. Or... My friend, Dr. Paul Jenkins, positive psychologist says, money is a receipt for the value you provide. (laughs) And if you look at it that way, man, I'm providing a lot of value and I'm being rewarded for it. And that's wonderful because I'm using it to purchase experiences that give me fulfillment with my family, that allow me to have excellent health, mental and physical health, that allow me to do those things I want to do, that allow me to, on Mondays, I go to the beach and I do beach sprints and I don't feel guilty about it. I don't feel like my clients are somehow wondering where I am and why I'm not on the phone and why I'm not online. So Kurt, I know you've worked with thousands of clients around the world. I was wondering, does one ring out to you as being able to make this leap and how it turned out? 
Yeah. So I have one client, I'm working with her now, and, and she was someone who had a job running a nonprofit and she was unfulfilled in her job. You know, it was these types of things. It was in a group course that I was doing, a mastermind. And she said things like, I'm sitting in this meeting and all I can think about is how to get out of this meeting, <laughs> you know, and how to get out of this work and how to get out of this job. And so I never push anyone, quit your job and start a business. You have to want it. You have to be intrinsically motivated instead of extrinsically motivated. And so we went along, we went along, we went along. She had that burning desire of what she wanted and that vision she wanted. And she came to me one day, we were actually on vacation. We were overseas and she said, I just put in my notice. I quit my job and now I'm scared as heck. It's like, okay, okay, okay. And you know, over the ensuing two weeks, she's like, listen, I have a month before I have to leave and they transition out, right? I'm terrified. I'm absolutely terrified. You know, talk me through this. And so we did that for several weeks. And then I coached her, you know, reverse engineer it. How much money now? Your last day at work is X. What is the date that you need to be making Y? I jokingly call it your destitution level. Like after that date, if it's not working, this ain't working. Like you got to go get a job delivering newspapers or something, right? So she said, it's 8,000 bucks a month. I said, oh, okay, let's do it. By the time she hit being even out of the transition, she was still working. She had a $10,000 client and several like full day workshop clients. So she blew away her, what she needed to make and her goal. By the time she was even out of her job and what she had to do was clearly define where she wanted to be and reverse engineer it. And that's a theme I talk about a lot is the reverse engineering because it's easy to get caught up in the inputs. And, you know, I'm sure you run into this and you get all the time, people who want to know how to start a podcast and they get so worried and so obsessed with the mic and the type of things they need and this and that and oh, I got to get a switcher. And, you know, I have a laptop and I have a mic. <laughs> That's it. But they get so focused. Uh, how am I going to write a book? I don't know what to do with an editor and this and that. How am I going to start a podcast? I don't have a mic and I don't have this and I don't know that. How am I going to start a business? I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. Instead of looking at the end goal, reverse engineering it so that every single day, one of the five pillars I work with is outcomes becoming so radically outcomes focused that you take that vision, you reverse engineer it. So every year, every month, every week, every day, you know, just the three outcomes, just three that you have to achieve to win the day. And some of them could be like idiot proof. You know, one is purchase LinkedIn sales navigator. It takes 10 minutes. Just do that today. Because you hear people talk about taking massive action and they get scared when they hear that. Sometimes massive action is like any action. And you do these small actions every day, you, you feel like you've won the day and they add up to big actions and they add up to big momentum. But if you have a goal three months from now, it may seem like a huge goal, but when you break it down, you realize I have 90 days to do 90 small outcomes to get to that goal. When you think of it that way, it's a lot less daunting. When you think of just the end goal and then you think of today and you try to plan toward it, you want to get all 90 things done tomorrow and you just don't do it or you become overwhelmed and you try to clog the day with inputs. So she's someone who was terrified. She was looking at the inputs. I said, forget about today, forget about tomorrow. Think about three months from now, think about two months from now, those deadlines and let's reverse engineer. What do you have to do today? Find that one client first. Let's just focus on that one client, the law of the few, go after that one client. She got that one client, made $10,000 when she needed to make eight. Now she's set. Now she can focus on getting client number two and client number three. Kurt, well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's just really uplifting and high potential of really getting a great ROI 
on a great book and a lot of really useful information that's actionable today and really great to have you on board. Yeah, well, thanks so much. It's a privilege to be here. I mean, anytime that, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I say, how can I help people today? Being on your show is a way of doing that right? Providing value. You're doing that every single episode you do. So I want to thank you for doing this. And any of your listeners who want to take it to the next level or learn a little more about what we've talked about today can go to fivepillarsoffreedom.com. And I'm giving away chapter one of my book absolutely free. They can read chapter one and say, I hate this and, and not, not take the next step. Or they could say, this is wonderful. And then follow the link to purchase the book. The other benefit of fivepillarsoffreedom.com is it's easier to spell than my name. And so it is a landing page on my website where they can find all my links, all my videos, my podcast, which is the Freedom Club podcast, all of that. If they go to fivepillarsoffreedom.com, it's all there for them. Our guest today has been Kurt Mercadente, international speaker, trainer, and author of the new book, The Five Pillars of the Freedom Lifestyle, a guide for discovering your superpowers and designing a life of true freedom and fulfillment. You can learn more about Kurt, as well as find links to his website and book, all in our show notes at businessownersradio.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode, along with links and offers, in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show. And, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business. <laughs>